Part eighteen of Thorstein of the Mere by W. G. Collingwood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter forty six Unbidden Guests. But what about Asdis all this while? She was never the worse off, whatever happened. She was too wise to spoil her looks with weeping, and too pretty to sit long at Asmunderly, waiting for a new husband. She lighted on her feet, like a cat, wherever she fell, and before many months was purring by another fireside, with the cream of the milk to lap. But as she blinked in the fire-glow, she was only watching her mouse. The land was not so bare of people as it had been twenty winters since. Bit by bit as the days went on, the dales were cleared and inhabited. From the low country, one after another went up to take land among the fells, for the Northmen could never abide close quarters. They hated towns and loved a free life, a spot to themselves with elbow-room, a seat on a how, overlooking broad fields and fell pastures, with the smoke of the next neighbour's hall rising far away through the green wood. It was one thing to have good friends within hail and call, but another to be thrust among folk in one of those stinking swine-styes, said they, where the Saxons herded. And so their biggings crept up from the shore of Leven and Duddon, and from nook to nook the house-reek rose, like bale-fires lighted to tell the world that this lakeland was the land-take of the Northmen. Therefore all the coming and going of Thorstein could not fail to be spied, and the tale sped from mouth to mouth, time and again, and lost little in its travels. In a while it came to Dame Astis, where she sat with black anger in her heart against Thorstein, and against the wild she-wolf of the fells who had stolen him out of her arms. And in all this she blamed herself never one whit, and folk came to look on her as a fair woman with great wrongs to avenge. In a time of quiet, when ill men are aweary of peace, and stirring men hanker after the adventures of old days, no great work was needed to egg on rough fellows to the job she had on hand. A gang of lads and louts was drawn together, and some silly vow got out of them that they would rid the land of the woodbiders, and all as if it had been some great deed. Now the island was but very little known to the north folk at the back of the fells, but one thing they knew, and this was that they could not come at it without boats, and if they stayed boat-building they would be spied and forset. But, said Astis, wait until the apple drops. Why build a boat to cross a bridge? At which they gaped. But she bade them watch the birds and the bushes, for that third winter began to be a hard winter. The swallows went early, and the wild swans came in flocks from the north. Choops and hollyberries reddened the hedges, and after Yule the fells were creamed over, and the becks dwindled. As the days lengthened, so the cold strengthened, until even the sunny shores of Leven and Duddon were frozen fast. And when a high tide came, it burst the flow, and left the sands and mosses strewn for many a mile, with huge blocks and tables of ice, piled one upon another like peats to dry. Then Astis rubbed her hands and said, Now, lads, your bridge will be built. So they set out and away through the snowy woods, 
until they came to the waterside of Thorstein Mere, and there was a sight. Still as death the white fells stood around. Still as death the lake spread white and black, white where the snow hid it, and black in great reaches that could hardly be known from standing water, but that its soft ripples stirred not, and the picture of wood and fell lay upon them clearer and quieter than the shapes in a tarn on a summer day, for all the north winds blowing. The only thing that moved was a wreath of smoke on the fell side over against them, and the likeness of the same wreath in the glassy field below. And where the two wreaths met was a crag, standing up from the flat, an island no longer. They adventured from the snowy shore, hardly knowing when they were on land and when on lake, until suddenly beneath their feet, deep down, they saw the stones lying at the bottom, clear in the sunlight, through the wonderful floor, such as the floor of heaven may be to them that walk upon it, and look down upon us thence. Slowly now and warily the men went, for the ice was smooth and slate, and if it was roughened at all, it was not with waves, but as if stars and arrowheads of crystal had been inlaid in glass, like the silver a smith inlays in steel. Then, as they walked, there arose a strange turmoil in the stillness. Far and wide the ice began to crack and settle with groanings and thunderings that roared and muttered from shore to shore. Across the black, clear deep, there flew white ragged lightnings on either hand, before and behind, as when one watches a thunderstorm in the valley beneath a lofty mountain. Then a great crack flitted, screaming right under their feet, and half the company turned and scattered, crying out there was witch-work in it, and they were lost, but as they staggered and slid and fell, others cursed them for fools and kicked them up again and egged them on, showing them how to set feet together and shove themselves along with their spears thrust hard behind them upon the ice. And so they won a mile or so to the island, but before they were halfway over, the smoke shot up into a thick cloud, and flames flickered, and over the waste of white and black above the moaning and groaning of the ice-field arose the deep note of a horn, stifled and quivering at first, and strengthening into a hollow peal that suddenly stayed. As suddenly it was answered from the fell, and then again from the beacon hill behind, and then again far up the lake, until the sky was ringing with it. They stood in amaze to listen, and the flame blazed higher, and the smoke rolled in coils brown against the white moorland. Again the war-horn pealed and the answers came, and when the last had died away, Another answer, over and above the echoes, a faint clang far down the crake. And then there was only the groaning of the ice to hear, and the island, when they came to it, was nothing but a snowy rock, untenanted for aught they could see, and lifeless but for the great fire. All around the brink, the slape ice shelved away by the settling of the lake, so that footing was bad to get. The rock went down sheer into the smooth floor, grey and bare beneath, and heaped with pillowy snow above, from which hung fringes of icicles, like teeth of a dragon in northern deeps. They scrambled up the shelving slide, and grasped at the rocks to break away the icicles and beat down the snow for handhold and foothold, 
but as they strove up the lower rocks half smothered with the mealy drift two heads came out upon the top of the crag and two great stones rolled among them and those they fell upon cried but once then began a storm of stones from above to which they could make no reply for the defenders were hidden behind the highest ridge and safe from shot even if the attackers could make a shift to use bow and dart and that they could seldom in their eagerness to win upward and in their unsteady footing their weapons only rattled down among them again from the ice-bound rock and so this went on for a while until many had been maimed and some killed outright the nearer they got the steeper and more dangerous were the battlements of that castle built without hands a long wall high enough and steep enough to be difficult any day but hopeless in this snow and frost with the great stones plunging down well aimed from above they drew off to the open and held council in a while they broke into two bands and went round the island to try for scaling spots and to break in on both hands at once now the ends of the island are less brant than its sides for there is a way up between the ridges both to north and south but nobody who meant to hold the place would fail to stop those doors with some stockading at least if not a good stone wall and so they were brought to a standstill here as heretofore the north end was not only well blocked but the rocks there are stiff and steep for this work and of the two defenders one followed each company round about never leaving them alone what with stones what with hand strokes when they tried the wooden palings and if fire was hot within the hold it was all frost without and never a spark to set the doors alight so now they met together at the south end where the twin harbour lies between the calf and crag they began to swarm up a buttress that makes a narrow ladder to the top easy enough to climb if it were not for the ice that sheeted it and for the rough welcome that awaited the first man on the sharp and perilous crest by this the far away fells stood rosy red and dim around the sky was like fire behind beacon fell and the cold floor of ice seemed to be all one lake of blood the bale on the crag reeked and roared and out of the smoke came a sword that lopped the first comer like a bow and sent him rolling down the unbroken rock for many an ell then they were aware of the woodbiders standing over them each with a weapon they took heart and shuffled up the harder shouting curses and what they would do when they won to the top but the next comer rolled into the bay with his brains knocked out that was the doing of a big stick that swung round and about in the hands of raniach well done lass shouted thorstein who kept his distance from her however it's not for nothing she's a giant's daughter he laughed for he was warming to the work but then the children waked behind them stirred by the noise and they screamed Raniach was scared lest some of the rascals had got in the back way and she flew to seek them the carls below set up a jeer and three or four flung in at once one was down and another was down but thorstein's sword bent and as he kneeled on it to straighten it the others were at him they had him on his back and a stroke would have done their job but out came raniach with such a swinging bat of her club on the one of them as broke his backbone like a rotten stick 
and she gripped the other by the throat and hauled him off she lugged and tugged and fairly lifted him off his feet and bundled him over the edge among his fellows up springs thorstein with a great shout and she beside him and every mother's son that could stir a limb scattered off the edge in a flock the weight of them all coming down together broke the ice where it was rotten from the warmth of the flat rock that caught and kept the morning sun and they went into the hole like corn into the miller's hopper it was deep there the rock goes down at once into the lake and rises again in ugly teeth bound to cut a swimmer's knees let alone the edges of the broken ice he with the lopped arm their leader in the assault after a few wild strokes went down in a red spot the rest struggled out to the nearest shore and shouted themselves hoarse with their anger thorstein and raniach went up to look at the man whose back was broken he cried for water and she gave him to drink thorstein stood over him fierce and stern who sent thee man he said but they got nothing out of him and in a while he died and then when all was over raniach burst into a blurt of weeping what lass what lass said thorstein as she shook and sobbed in his arms hold up my little one all's right now i warrant we see no more of them there's not a scratch on thee and i am none the worse but for a bruise or two what's there to greet for it's not that she sobbed here then take the barn hark how he is crying on his mother then as the sob shook her and the baby at her breast said thorstein staring at them and biting a twig eh queer things women are ay and says he there's women and women and so astis goes out of the story when the stars were shining they had more guests not unbidden though late to the play kinsman said hundy as he panted and caught his breath between draughts of milk in the cot on the island kinsman no more of this to the all thing thou goest this midsummer if i drag thee yonder by the scruff of the neck and ay goes he said the half score of men that had come hot foot from lowick never saw i woman more scared than holdora when thy horn sounded scared was she said one of them but for a scare o oh boys the master capped all snail says i as i pelted after him hare says i hundy harefoot's the word hundy caught him by the hand laughing a forfeit he cried to fasten the name but thorstein my man get thy peace and let us share it life is not worth living with this horn blowing to look for so when midsummer was come thorstein set forth alone sorely as raniach grudged his leaving her she said it was for no good he was going but he kissed her and said she should be mistress of blawith before the summer was out that may be she said but never so happy as here chapter forty seven the host of weird thorstein travelled over the fells to the waterhead of the great lake we call windermere meaning to stay there for the night and so to come upon the all thing when folk were at their meeting about midday but when he was at the door of the welshman's cots in that old ruin of the romans there was a great noise within and he spied a many northmen sitting there at drink 
and among them some faces he knew and misliked. They too were on their way to Legbethwaite, and no sooner did he darken the door, but they leapt up and ran at him. He had no mind to redden his hands with them, just when he was going to sue for his peace, and away he went, out of the great road and into the woods again. This was a part he knew but little, and yet he found a track that led him up a steep dell, and over a hawse where there was a wonderful big stone, like a kirk, by the wayside, with high fells running up on either hand. Before him lay the great deep valley, reaching away northward, and all its forests and crags purple and golden in the summer afternoon. Here and there was a gleam of water, and far in the distance smoke rising, as if from the houses of men. The path led onward and downward, rough and steep. He followed it for a good while, and came to a tarn, which afterwards the Northmen called Brotherwater, from the ancient road that passed by. Then he was on the floor of the valley, with the steep heights all around and above, and it was but an hour or so to the village of Patrickdale. This was another of those few spots in the fell country where people were found before the Northmen came into Lakeland. The dwellers were mostly like the rougher sort of fell folk, and their cots were of the poorest, scattered and buried in the wood. And yet they had a church in their midst, if it were no more than a cell, where a kind of hermit priest lived. And in the one little chamber slept upon the ground, and ate his crust, and performed the holy service, with nothing but a rough stone for his altar, and another for his pillow. Thorstein sat down weary and hungered at the church door, and knocked upon it. Presently in the quiet village there was a barking of dogs that echoed from crag to crag around, and then the church door opened, and the priest came out with a thumping big stick upheld in one hand, while he unbarred the iron hasp door with the other. Thorstein bade him have peace, for it was a Christian and a wayfarer who begged for alms. He spoke in the fell folk's tongue, reckoning that whether the priest were English or Irish, he must speak so in his cracks with the country folk hereabouts. So the priest let him into the church, and from an ark brought out a bowl of sour milk and a cake of rye bread. Maybe now, said Thorstein, this is all thou hast. All I have here, said the priest, but there are good neighbours. So Thorstein drank the milk at a draught, and ate the cake in two mouthfuls. I am no stranger in these parts, said he, but I never was here before. Like enough not, said the priest. We call this St. Patrick's Church, for on this spot many a lifetime back the glorious and blessed Patrick preached, and in the well hard by christened both men and women that heard him. And here in this desert, unworthy as I am, I strive to keep the lamp alight, as those that watch for their Lord. They talked together a while, for the priest seemed right glad of a friendly face other than those of his rough flock. Goats, he called them, for lambs they be not indeed, but very mounting goats. And yet God forgive me for saying an ill word of them, added he, for I mind me of the days when I was in the world. There was as much hardness of heart and stiff nakedness among our townsfolk yonder at Dacre. But now there was a noise without, and the dogs barking again. More than that, eager voices. Out stepped the priest to hear what the news might be, bidding Thorstein stay where he was, or he would not answer for him. 
there was a couple of men fighting men of domnails they seem by their weapons but no great champions by their faces around them a knot of rough villagers half clothed in skins and shaggy-headed with staves in their hands they all talked long and loud thorstein could just hear something about an army and flight and slaughter but he deemed it wise to do as the priest bade him lest he should be miskenned and mauled by that rabble lord help us said the priest coming back into the church god and all blessed saints protect us ill tidings young man awful tidings but as the mountains stand round about jerusalem even so the lord stands round us who fear him then between prayers and sighs he told the news these were two men of the dale who had gone to fight in domnail's army called out but lately it seems that edmund the english king had been warring in the north against domnail's people in strathclyde and against the vikings in galloway and having wasted far and wide he was entered into cumberland where domnail though he had fled from place to place thought to make another stand and so had called out every man he could levy but still he got the worst of it and fled before the saxons and no wonder for with the saxons there were malcolm king of scots and a host of his and Llewellyn of wales with his men a terrible great multitude last night they lay at penrith and domhnail was pressing his men forward towards the fell country hoping either to escape into the mountain fastnesses or to entangle his enemies in some straight pass among rocks and swamps and so destroy them but before these men fled from his army it had been given out that he aimed at the mountain road to the city of helvellyn what cried thorstein beside our northmen's meeting-place ay father though i am a christian i am a northman born and neither dane nor saxon tell me o oh man tell me how i may come to them and give them warning is there a way over yon crags it cannot be far and yet the rocks stand up like walls of heaven the priest took him to the door and pointed out a deep dale that runs up into the fells grisdale we call it now when he was at the head of that dale he would find a tarn then he was to take the valley to his right hand and it would bring him to the hawes above the city of helvellyn but said he it is trackless forest none rougher in our mountains and it teems with wild swine if it were for a boar hunt with a party of stout fellows no place could be fitter but for a lone traveller at speed and a stranger i doubt the end of the journey might be nearer than its goal path or no path boars or no boars cried thorstein running back into the church for his weapons i must try it and that hastily stay said the priest there is another way if thou canst climb the rocks like a wild cat and keep a cool head while the eagles scream around thee i know this only by report but men have climbed above the woods where all is open grass or naked rock and so across over helvellyn they say it is a fearful place no otherwise than when one mounts a ladder against a castle wall but that this is as terrible in its loftiness and horror beyond any high tower or deep sea crag and the night is at hand the night said thorstein is fair and never wholly dark at this season as for crags and the danger of the fells i have fared through a many before now point me out the way father 
it was the clear gloaming of summer midnight when he had forced his way through the woods that clothed the valley side and that crept up the crags like moss on a stone he was on striding edge forest and fell around him were black a tossing surge of darkness in which gleamed ugly and strange the great lake that reached away into distance of slaty gloom on the ridge there was light from the north a brown light no more than enough to see footing and handhold but when his foot slipped and a great stone rolled from under it there was a crash and a roar that raised the echoes all round the cove as the stone whirled and leapt towards the round tarn that he could hardly discern in the blackness how far below he could not reckon and on the other hand it was no less steep pinnacles of rock stood up along the abyss and in front a great mass a wall it seemed in the uncertain gloom unapproachable with the falling stones the eagles were roused and sailed screaming about him so that he clung to the ridge and drew his sword then he came to a place where the rock fell away into darkness and he sat doubting the priest's guidance and scanning the black wall that rose overhead before him for he was weary by now and began to be faint with hunger he cast overboard his shield that he had carried so far and it fell down the rock but a little way and then caught he followed it and found it and then scrambled up the wall which turned out to be no more than a scree slope though it was one of the stiffest from helvell in top he saw the arch of light in the north again sunset and dawn in one streaked with black bars of cloud but underneath them strong against the meshes of faint daffodil colour and the lowest band of dusky red stood out the lines of skiddor and blencathra the shapes he knew right well of old and welcomed joyfully he ran along the brown and rounded grassy summit forgetting his weariness until thirlmere gleamed beneath him the winding lake with its steep shores and the crags where he had first met alloin and domnail then how high that mountain eyrie of theirs had seemed but now it was naught but a heave in the dark land that was spread out before him like an embroidered garment cast upon the floor then as he went forward weary of the swamps that lie among the grass of those great mountain backs he saw a man come up on the moorland but from some point farther north and run as he had run across toward thirlmere he'll be another of the fleers said thorstein to himself he is bound for the northman's camp like me and he shouted and tried to overtake him but in vain then came up two or three others they were dimly seen and grey in that twilight but he could make them out enough to know that they carried weapons and fled in haste he shouted again but no answer then more followed and he could see that among the newcomers were pursuers as well as pursued and now one fell and was killed outright before his eyes but there was no sound of shouting and as he ran toward them he seemed to come no nearer whether it was that the twilight put him out of his reckoning or what and then came a flock of men marching forward with banner and spear ay and horses among them and chariots on the bare mountain top with pathless crags behind and in front where no army could have marched in order nor wagon have gone upon wheels but still they crossed over a very great multitude 
under the broken light that held his eyes fixed to northward he stayed running and listened the waterfalls roared beneath but not a sound was there of living men neither tramp nor shout and still they passed terror was upon him now and his knees shook he looked behind him and out of the deep blackness a few great stars shone and around was the moorland with its strange forms and he knew not what else crowding upon him with a cry he fled down the grassy slope it fell away steeper and steeper he stumbled among the hidden stones but he could not stay his feet and down he rolled from rock to rock into the thunder of Helvelling Gill. End of part eighteen.